Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me be with you in the, this way this morning. Uh, right about now, I am uh, up in the Boundary Waters, and um, I am paddling away. So our group is uh, pushed off, I'm sure, by now, and uh, we're out on the water after having a great uh, Sunday morning breakfast and, of course, the time of uh, prayer before we push off. So thanks for letting me come and join you this morning uh, in this format. Uh, because we're using this format this morning, uh, you're going to need to uh, obviously watch the screens, and uh, that's where I'm going to be. But that means to follow along in the scriptures, you're going to need to have your handout. So uh, go ahead and grab your handout, will you? Uh, so you can follow along. We're going to do a lot of uh, scripture uh, this morning. And uh, so you need to be able to just kind of follow that along. It's really some, some powerful stuff. So grab that out. While you're doing that, I'll remind you that what we're doing uh, this summer is we are in a series called Passionate Summer. Uh, and uh, we're looking at the passionate words uh, captured in the Psalms, you know, real people with uh, real passion, uh, giving us those incredible real insights into how to have this passionate life uh, for God. And today is no different. We're going to be looking at uh, Psalm uh, 46. Now, to understand Psalm uh, 46, um, we need to get the context of Psalm 46. And to be honest, there's some biblical debate out there among scholars about the, you know, the, the reference point. But the most likely reference point, and, and the one that I certainly am drawn to, uh, is what I'll share with you uh, this morning. And the context of the psalm uh, probably refers back to the experience of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 18. And uh, to set it up, in 2 Kings 18, uh, what's happened is the uh, king of Assyria has become the dominant power in the, in the region. And so the king of Assyria has started to expand that power and conquer more territory. And the king of Assyria has his eye on Egypt. So Assyria is up here to the north, and Egypt is down here to the south. And to get to Egypt, what do you suppose lies in between the two? But little old Egypt. So what's happened is the king of Assyria has... Uh, been about that conquest uh, and effort, and so he's conquered a number of kingdoms, and whenever he'd conquer a kingdom, then that king would be under his rule and his employ and would join the battle, and so you'll hear in here a number of kings, all of them are, are subservient to the king of, uh, of Assyria. So the king of Assyria has mounted his, uh, his battle, and he's now marching towards, uh, towards Israel, and he's already wiped out uh, many of the cities uh, in northern Israel. And he's made his way down, and now he comes to Jerusalem. And uh, Hezekiah, who is the king of Israel, has now withdrawn and, and uh, created Jerusalem as his fortress over and against uh, the, the kings that are invading. Now, Hezekiah, you need to remember, is a very young king, as kings go. Uh, Hezekiah was made king over Israel when he was uh, 25 years old. And if you look at uh, 2 Kings uh, 18, and so look at your sheets, um, we, we get this uh, awareness of, okay, so he's been king for a little while. It says, in the 14th year of Hezekiah's rule in Judah, King uh, Sennacherib of Assyria invaded the country and captured every walled city except Jerusalem. So he's moved from the north to the south. He's captured all of the cities in Jerusalem at least down to, uh, in Israel, at least down to Jerusalem. And now he lays siege 
to Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, the king, is now 39 years old. And he now must face this incredible challenge from Assyria. There's, I think, just a simple great awareness for us there. Uh, and that is, challenges will come. Challenges will come. Uh, regardless of how old you are, how young you are, wherever you are in life, we, we just need to understand, because we live in a broken world, uh, challenges are going to come. And so the king of Assyria has simply decided for his own personal interest to go ahead and invade uh, Israel so he can get down and take over and attack Egypt. And there's no rhyme or reason to it necessarily for Hezekiah, but nevertheless Hezekiah is now in a position where he has to face this kind of challenge. And so the reality for all of us is that challenges, uh, well, they just come. They just move into our life, and, and we don't always expect them. We can't always you know, anticipate a challenge is coming next week. We can't always uh, be in that place where we say, well, you know, I just feel like a challenge is going to come. You know, we, we have phrases around that. We, we talk about saying, oh, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Remember that one? I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, the reality is for all of us, uh, no matter where we are in life, uh, we're all going to experience some kind of challenge. And the challenge that Hezekiah is experiencing here is an incredible tough challenge. If you look again at your notes, one of the Assyrian commanders comes to, uh, comes to uh, the gate and he begins to speak to uh, everybody in the city and, and to Hezekiah. He says, I have a message for Hezekiah from the great king of Assyria. Ask Hezekiah why he feels so sure of himself. Does he think he can plan and win a war with nothing but words? Who's going to help him? Now what he now that he has turned against the king of Assyria, is he depending on Egypt and its king? That's the same as leaning on a broken stick, and it will go right through your hand. Is Hezekiah now depending on the Lord your God? Didn't Hezekiah tear down all except one of the Lord's altars and places of worship? Didn't he tell the people of Jerusalem and Judah to worship at the one place? Now, this is so fascinating. This challenge is coming in Hezekiah's life, and the challenge starts accusing Hezekiah. The, the problem is that the challenge, the commander, doesn't understand what Hezekiah has done. Hezekiah, when he took over, became king, he tore down the high places that were worshipped to, to the idol of Baal that were worship sites for the idol of Baal. And so he tears down all the false worship sites and says to the people of Israel, listen, there is only one God, and you have to worship that God in Jerusalem, in that one place. Now, this commander comes from Assyria, looks from the outside and says, well, hey, look, didn't, didn't he tear down all these places of worship for you? I mean, I mean, didn't he constrict your ability to worship and, and now say it's only in this one place? I mean, hasn't he already gone against God? How in the world can God support him? See, this is what challenge does. Challenge wants to look at our lives and see the places where we have failed God and try to convince us that, well, God has nothing more to do with us because we've acted against him. We have failed him. We have done wrong things in his sight. And, and so because we're so wrong in relationship to God, it wants to convince us that God can have no longer have power in our life. That's what the commander's doing. He's trying to tell the people, listen, look, look what Hezekiah has done. He's been unfaithful to God, and therefore, you know, this is coming his way, and he deserves it, and you just, you just can't trust him anymore. So he says, the king of Assyria wants to make a bet with you people. He will give you 2,000 horses if you have enough troops to ride them. 
How could you even defeat our lowest-ranking officer when you have to depend on Egypt for chariots and cavalry? Now look at verse 25. Look close. You ready? Don't forget that it was the Lord who sent me here with orders to destroy your nation. This is so amazing. This pagan guy who has no relationship with God now comes as the challenge and he accuses Hezekiah of being one who has worked against God and even now says, listen, I, the challenge, I am here doing the Lord's business. I'm here doing the Lord's business. You need to recognize you've been totally unfaithful, you've been far away from God, you've been doing everything wrong in God's sight, and, and so now I am here because God wants me to be here to punish you and take over. Isn't that the way challenges come and feel? Isn't it? I mean, challenges come at us, and, and we, we say, oh, what did I do? We, we start associating challenges like this with, well, we must have failed God somehow, and so, so this horrible thing is happening in our life. It, it, or we even go as far as what this guy is doing and saying, well, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? That God somehow must be doing to me. That, that somehow this must be the Lord's will that I go through this terrible, terrible experience in my life and this, this terrible challenge in my life. And, and we even try to convince ourselves that it's all God's doing. When we know God doesn't act that way. And, and yet we want to blame Him or make it His doing and, and, and we let the challenge take over our life, and destroy our passion for God. That's what challenge does. Challenge comes in and it tries to destroy our passion for God. Look, look at what he says next. If you go to verse 28, he says, Then in a voice loud enough for everyone to hear, he shouted in Hebrew. So he's, he's making sure that all the citizens now who are inside the fortress of Jerusalem can hear this. He says, Listen to what the great king of Assyria says. Don't be fooled by Hezekiah. He can't save you. Don't trust him when he tells you that the Lord will protect you from the king of Assyria. Stop listening to Hezekiah. Pay attention to my king. Surrender to him. Isn't that powerful? He says, listen, don't, don't stop. Stop listening. Don't do this. Don't listen. Don't trust. Don't, don't have passion for God anymore. Stop listening to the promises. Listen, you need to change your focus. And, and don't focus on God. Start focusing on the challenge, he says. And surrender. Did you hear that? Surrender to the challenge. Isn't that what happens? We, we get these challenges in our life, and, and they move into our life, and they're big ones, and they're tough ones, but, but they want us to move our passion away from God, and they want us to go ahead and surrender to the challenge. And, and even to the point of saying, well, this must be all God's will. Really? Really? This commander wants the people in Hezekiah to just simply give up on the power of God that can work in their life. And he even tries to make a bargain with them. He even, he even tries to make a, a bargain that looks better than trusting God. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, The king of Assyria, he will let you keep your own vineyards, fig trees, and cisterns for a while. Then he'll come and take you away to a country just like yours where you can plant a vineyard, you can raise your own grain, and you have plenty of olive oil and honey. Believe me, you, you, you won't starve there. Hezekiah claims the Lord will save you, but, but don't be fooled by him. Were any other gods able to defend their land against the king of Assyria? What, what happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? 
What about the gods of Seraphim, Hena, and Iva? Were the gods of Samaria able to break their land against the Assyrian forces? Isn't this awesome? The challenge comes in and it tries to move us away from our passion for God to the point that it makes promises to say, well, if I compromise, if I compromise with the challenge, then, then well, maybe that's going to be the best thing for me. I mean, he's saying, listen, our king's going to take care of you and... and you know, you can stay here for a while, but we're going we're gonna to then take you to another place. We're going to plant you in another place. And boy, you're going to have just a great life. Just a great, It's like the witness protection program, right? We're going to take you over here and you're going to have a great life. He's talking about taking him and, and putting them off in, in foreign lands. He's taking him away from the promised land. He, he's taking him away from all the, the, the place where God resides in Jerusalem. And, and yet it looks... Like, well, this is a good deal. This this wouldn't be so bad. I mean, we'd be off in a different land, and it wouldn't be God's land, and, you know, God wouldn't be present there, but, you know, maybe it's not so bad. I think that's what the challenge does. The challenge wants us to compromise in our passion for God and instead begin to look at the challenge even as an opportunity for the challenge's purposes. He ends up saying... None of these gods kept their people safe from the king of Assyria. Do you think the Lord your God can do any better? And there's the question. There's the question. You see, when challenges come, there is the passion question. Do you think, do you believe in your heart? Are you sold out in passion? Do you think that God can do anything in light of the challenge? Do you think God can do anything? And here is where Psalm 46 enters in. Here's where the psalm comes in. The psalmist says in the very first verse, God is our mighty fortress, always ready to help in times of trouble. Did you hear that? God is our mighty fortress. I mean, they're holed up in the fortress of Jerusalem, right? I mean, the, the gates are barred and they're holed up in the fortress of Jerusalem, the very place of God's presence. The place Hezekiah says, listen, this is where God is present. This is where you come to worship. In the very place of God's presence, they fortress themselves. And the psalmist now says, yes, that's the place. That's it. Our fortress is in the presence of God. That's our fortress. Our confidence, our passion is in God that says, listen, God is our fortress and God is always ready. There, there's never a time. God is always ready to help, even in the most difficult challenge that we're going to face. This is incredible passion. Incredible passion for the power of what God can do in our life. And, and the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he reflects the same kind of passion and the same kind of challenge for us. Is if in the times of trouble, if we can still fortress ourselves in that presence of God in our life. He says, we know that God is always at work for good for everyone who loves him. They are the ones God has chosen for his purpose. Can we have a passion for God that, that lets God be our fortress and not, not get focused on the challenge, not get focused on the problem, but just fortress in God and say, God is present in my life. I know he's present in my life. And he still has a purpose for my life. And I know that God is working. That's my fortress. That's what I'm going to cling to. I'm not going to compromise with the challenge. I'm not going to let the challenge dissuade me. I'm going to stay fortressed 
right there in God. I'm going to stay fortressed in the presence of God in my life and the, and the promise that God has a purpose for my life in spite of the challenge. And to the point that even the challenge, while not brought about by God, can be used by God. An awesome passion, an awesome passion that says God is always present working in times of trouble and he is our fortress. And so the psalmist can say in verse 2, because I have that passion for God, so we won't be afraid. We won't be afraid. That we're, we're going to fortress ourselves in that presence of God and say, God is enough. God is enough. God is going to be enough for me in spite of the challenge. I'm not going to compromise with the challenge. God is going to be enough. Now, I've got to be honest with you. You've you, you got to understand that it's, it's not an easy thing when you're holed up in Jerusalem and the whole Assyrian army is surrounding you. I mean, this was a huge confrontation. This was tough times. And challenges can be really tough. The psalmist doesn't lose that insight. Uh, the psalmist would say, Let the earth tremble and the mountains tumble into the deepest sea. Let the oceans roar and foam and its water raging waves shake the mountains. That's how awesome challenges can be. That's how difficult challenges can be. Mountains can shake and fall down. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. That the oceans can come and devour mountains. That's a pretty big deal. The challenges we're going to face can be really tough ones. It's not taking away from the challenge. And Jesus even tells us, and he doesn't paint a pretty picture about the things we're going to face when we, when we fortress in God, when we're passionate about God, the things we're going to face. He says in Matthew 10, when he's sending out his disciples, I'm sending you a light, lambs and a pack of wolves. Tough? <laughs> I mean, grab that picture, right? If you're the lamb, not, not easy. Tough. So be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. Watch out for people who will take you to court and have you beaten in their meeting places because of me. You'll be dragged before rulers and kings. Why? To tell them and the Gentiles about your faith. Right there. He even understands that the, that the tough challenge, the tough challenge, if we fortress in God, can become the opportunity for God to work in our life. The tough challenge. Listen, I know some of you are in tough places right now. In our world, in our economy, the things are going on out there. I mean, it's, it's getting tough. And, and these challenges seem sometimes insurmountable. But the psalmist, the psalmist would ask you, is God big enough? Are, are you fortressed in God? And, and do you have a, a passion for God that says, listen, my God is big enough even in the most difficult of situations. Are you, are you in a place where you can have that kind of passion for God in spite of the difficult uh, challenges so that this passion for you is enough, this fortress in God is enough, and you're ready to receive whatever God is doing even in the midst of the challenge? If you look at James 1, James 1 says, My friends, be glad, even if you have a lot of trouble, you know that you learn to endure by having your faith tested. But you must learn to endure everything so that you will be completely mature and not lack in anything. 
It's the understanding that fortressing in God is is enough for us, and that that, that the fortress is we just trust that God is going to use the toughest of challenges. He's going to be there, he's going to be our help in times of trouble, and he's going to use the toughest of challenges to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our life. It's just trusting him more than anything and looking for his provision, looking for him and his provision. The the psalmist would say it this way in Psalm 46.4. A river and its streams bring joy to the city, which is the sacred home of the Most High. God is in that city, and it won't be shaken. He will help it at dawn. See, what's cool about the, the attack that happened on Hezekiah, that Hezekiah, some years before this, had, had found a spring outside of the city walls, and so he had built from this spring of water, he had built an underground river under the city, an aqueduct under the city of Jerusalem, because when a city is under siege, they try to cut off the water supply and starve the people out, right? So Hezekiah had already prepared for this, and he had taken this spring, and he had hidden it, and then he had let the spring come underneath the city, so the city could be under siege and they'd still have water. God had led him to be in provision and ready for the toughest challenge. How awesome is God? That's the way it is. For us to be able to have a fortress in God that says, listen, God has already prepared me for this challenge. God God knows the circumstances we're going to face. He knows the challenges we're going to go through. And it's the fortress in God and say, listen, God has always prepared me for, for this challenge. That there's streams of living water running in my life. That I'm, I am deep in the Word. That I am surrounded in a small group with people who care about me. That I am deep in ministry and helping others. That, that God is working in my life and God has prepared me because I'm already passionate about God. And, and when the tough time comes, I can stay passionate and fortressed in God because I've got that life-giving water. I've got that power of that Holy Spirit and that life-giving water still working in my life. What does it mean? It means the psalmist encourages us to just remain passionate. Just remain passionate. Passionate for the greatness of God. And that's where he ends up. Passionate about the greatness of God. He says, nations rage, kingdoms fall, but the voice of God, the earth itself melts. He just says, listen, this is how big God is. This is how great God is. God's voice can melt the earth. I mean, our challenges, they seem so tough and so overwhelming. But it's to remember, fortressed in God, that our God is even greater. Our God is even greater. He says, the Lord, O powerful, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord, O powerful, is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's all we need. And then he makes that step. To say, listen, and if you need affirmation of that, just remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. He says, come, see the fearsome things the Lord has done on the earth. He wants you to remember when you're fortressed in God that God has seen tough challenges before and he's overcome them. I mean, it's where we started, right? Hezekiah is fortressed in the city of Jerusalem. The Assyrian king is over and against him. He has absolutely no hope in worldly standards, and yet Hezekiah stays fortressed in God. And you know what happens? If you jump down in the whole story and you go to 2 Kings 19, and verse 34, 35, it says, That same night the Lord sent an angel to the camp of the Assyrians, 
and he killed 185,000 of them. And so the next morning, the camp was full of dead bodies. Look at verse 36. After this, King Sennacherib went back to Assyria and lived in the city of Nineveh. What happened? How great is our God? How great is our God? You see, the psalmist looks back. He looks at that moment and he sees the victory that God won over the challenge. It was tough for a while. It was not easy in the fortress. But the psalmist looks back and says, look, this is how great God is. This is how great God is. So he would say in verse 10, Calm down. Our God says, Calm down. And learn that I am God. That, that's probably the difficult challenge for us. It's not just the challenge out there that wants to draw us away from our fortress, but it's just to take the breath and to calm down and to get centered in our passion for God. Other translations will say, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. And so the psalmist ends, The Lord all-powerful is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. We're going to face challenges. They're going to be tough challenges. But God is greater. And we can fortress in God and trust Him more than anything. Just calm down. Take a breath. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. And give God total surrender of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the word of today. Uh, just keep us uh, fortressed in you. We know the world's a tough place. We know the challenges are going to be difficult and seem insurmountable. But this morning, we just want to take a breath. Just take a breath and calm down. And just receive a word that reminds us how great you are. So, Lord, we uh, just surrender to you, and we give our lives to you, and we trust you in all circumstances. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.